by now most of you have heard that uh, Tom Schrader, our uh, founding pastor, passed away on Sunday a week ago. And uh, in light of that, we want to make you aware of a memorial that it will be held on February 2nd at Scottsdale Bible Church. And the reason why we're having it there is we just don't think there's enough room here. And they've been so gracious to us to provide that um, space. Um, So it's February 2nd at 10 a.m. at Scottsdale Bible Church. Uh, Let me just give you an encouragement to come early if you want to sit in the room. Uh, My assumption is the amount of people from all over the city, all over Redemption, Scottsdale Bible Church, and even Gilbert will will, uh, overwhelm them. So just to let you know that. Um, The other thing I want to let you know of, there has been just such a... uh, plethora, an overwhelming number of stories being written, blogs being written, stories being told about the ministry that Tom's had in the city and in your life. And so his website, his teaching website, PriorityLivingAZ.org, they have a place where they're sort of collecting all those stories for the benefit of the one another's, for the benefit of the family. It's a great place to do that. So if you you want to, if you want to be a part of that and share your story, just go to uh, PriorityLivingAZ.org and you can uh, post that there. And I would appreciate it. I'm certain the family would appreciate that as well. It seems weird to say Tom is dead. And it feels really, really sudden. But I would suggest to you that his death was a grace of God. Um, he had been hurting and suffering for a while, but I'll, I'll give you a little snapshot of the last few days to describe the suddenness of it. Um, I think it was in November, I, I'm, I think I'm right, where Tom was uh, diagnosed well, they found some skin cancer on his head. And if you saw him walking around with a ski cap, that's because they were working on that. But it wasn't until, I think, Wednesday, he was feeling some pain uh, lower in his body that he uh, went to the ER to get scanned, and they scanned him. And then by the time all those scans makes to the oncologist, the doctor, on Friday, it was Friday that he found out that he had cancer all throughout his body and that uh, he needed to go home and prepare. And they said, it's soon, very soon. And so the fact that they would say that on Friday afternoon and by Sunday night he is um, with Jesus is a a pretty startling, yes, but such a grace um, to have cancer and fight. Um, Lord knows he knows what that looks like. And uh, so um, today is going to be interesting. Uh, I'm not certain everybody here knows Tom. And so I was talking to uh, Neil and Paul and Tyler, and I, I'm, not, I'm not enjoying today at all, um, but I think it's the best way to honor him is to spend some time talking about him. Tom started this church, if you're not familiar, 28 years ago called East Valley Bible Church. Him and some other men and women got together and thought God would do a work in the East Valley, and so uh, they began this ministry. And uh, I don't think I'm exaggerating if I say this, that if you have found Redemption Gilbert your home in the last three, four, five years, and you know nothing of Tom Schrader, um, my bet is that the reason why you like it have everything to do with his influence. And so I'm going to try to tell you about that today so you know the culture that we have, the values that we have, the teaching we're convicted by, all through uh, God's work in his life Um, Much of what we do um, and are was shaped by how God made him and how God used him. I uh, have heard a lot of stories 
this week, and I was overwhelmed probably by uh, Wednesday uh, with the quantity and the amount of stories that speak of the influence of Tom in our city. It's impossible to calculate, to be honest with you. Uh, thousands, no joke, thousands upon thousands have heard him teach over the last 30-some years. Hundreds of leaders have been shaped by his influence. Uh, so many people have come to faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior simply through Tom speaking through him. Um, Businessmen and women uh, have heard how the scriptures are an authority and can shape your life and transform your world. I heard this morning that someone told me their marriage was coming apart at the seams and it wasn't, again, I want to make certain you understand this. It wasn't Tom working this. It was God through Tom working this. But nevertheless, God through Tom was speaking to a couple blowing apart at the seams about how God can save and reconcile. And they would say of their marriage, that's why they're together. I had the truly the privilege of leading student ministries for, for years, and uh, I invited Tom every year, come and do summer camp, Tom, come and teach summer camp. We take hundreds of kids to camp, hundreds, and I suppose over 20 years now, it's, it's thousands and thousands that have gone to camp, and Tom would be the guy, and I said, Tom, I want them to know you, and I want them when they think about our church to know that this whole thing uh, fits in context, and you're part of that, and so he would teach uh, every summer camp, and uh, I can't, I can't try to communicate to you the amount of kids at that time, now adults who uh, say they know Christ because of that teaching. In fact, I heard my daughter-in-law say on Friday that she came to Christ at summer camp when she was thirteen. <laughs> so I'm pretty grateful for that. Um, staying home moms uh, heard the gospel through Tom's teaching on blog on, on uh, podcasts and fascinating as average Joes could sit average Joes with uh, like no understanding of the scriptures could hear God revealed in Christ and Tom could say it and they go I understand him it was phenomenal And what's fascinating about Tom's story is that uh, Tom doesn't fit in any kind of paradigm about church leaders or pastors. Uh, no resume, no seminary, just the Holy Spirit. See, the thing about Tom was he lived uh, his uh, first 30 years, no exaggeration, um, like hell as if there was no God. I suppose at the time he lived that way, he probably thought that. And he would tell crazy stories, not all of them. I'm certain he was embarrassed of some of them. And some would make me laugh. But, nevertheless, in 1980, the hound of heaven came after his kid. You might not know this name, but there was a man named Larry Wright who... Uh, taught a Bible study in our city, <clears throat> and uh, the office where Tom worked, guys would go to this Bible study, and, and they wouldn't invite Tom, because after all, he's too crazy. He's too wild and too disinterested. So Tom invited himself. And they said, well, 
I guess it's for anybody. So. And Tom sat in that first study and he heard things about God and about Christ that he never heard before or, or maybe never heard for the first time before. And then began a journey several months of him, I suppose, wrestling with those things. But prior to that, he went home after that study and he goes, I got to have answers. I need to know what's going on. And so he grabbed the yellow pages and, and he flopped it open to Larry Wright. And in Phoenix, there's not one Larry Wright. There's a plethora of Larry Wrights. And he just went. And in the sovereign hand of God, it was the Bible teacher, Larry Wright. And he calls him up and says, is this Larry, Larry Wright that I heard teach the Bible? And he goes, yeah, I got to talk. And so Larry met with him, and I'm certain Tom just overloaded him with questions about all these absolutes that probably Tom never considered before in Christ. And it was at that point that God began to kind of work like he does with everybody. And as Tom would tell it, he was uh, in a parking lot all alone in his car where God totally ripped out the heart of stone. It replaced it with a heart of flesh. That was uh, a long time ago. And I think, uh, as you would know, Tom was consumed with that absolute truth and the word of God from that moment on. He spent some seven years with Larry, hanging out with Larry, talking to Larry, and eventually someone from Tucson said, hey, we want a, we want a Bible study down here. And Larry said, I'm not going to Tucson. So um, this tells you how converted Tom was. He went to Tucson. <laughs> And he drove down there and just did whatever it is that God did for him, having no experience whatsoever, and it blew up in the best of ways. It grew. And so Tom connected with Larry in such a deep way that for a while he kind of served with Larry in Abundant Life, and eventually it became apparent that he should do his own thing called Priority Living. At the same time he was starting this Bible study in the community, in the business community, um, he formed a church through several circumstances called East Valley Bible Church all in 1991. When he was doing these Bible studies, just to give you a sense of how um, passionate and hardworking he was, uh, he, he held several Bible studies throughout the city. He'd hold, hold them at the Luby's Cafeteria. I went to some of those. Uh, he held them at the Women's Club. I went to some of those. Uh, the Suns Arena downtown uh, to La Posada Bar. Um, any place he can get in front of average people to tell them about the Jesus he found. Pretty phenomenal. And while that's all going on, he starts this little podunk church called East Valley Bible Church. And he's leading this, and he's leading all those studies, and then some church in California named Calvary Santa Ana, where David Hawking was, was without a pastor, and they said, hey, would you teach? And he went out there. And they love Tom Schrader. And... Uh, so his routine was to teach all these Bible studies, drive to Tucson every week, and then on Saturday, fly to California and lead that congregation of thousands, fly back here on Sunday afternoon to teach a redemption in East Valley, or East Valley Bible Church when it was. And they came after him. They said, hey, would you, would you do this? We love your teaching. We'll give you anything you want. It was one of those churches, like mega churches, thousands of people. All you got to do is this and nothing else. And we'll just, I mean, I'm certain it came with all the bells and whistles. And Tom said, I can't because I have a couple hundred people back home. Pretty, uh, pretty cool. 
when I tell you that I don't know anyone personally that uh, had the level of influence for the gospel than Tom, I'm honest. I don't know anybody else. It's staggering to consider. I am not the, obviously, I'm not the social media guy in any shape or form, but I'm hearing of hundreds, if not more than hundreds of people who are writing statements and blogs and people are posting things of what Tom meant to them or what taught, taught, Tom taught them or what, what God did through Tom in their life and it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty cool to see those things or hear about those things. And to those of us who uh, knew him, there is a profound sadness that he's gone, but I can tell you honestly, there's a tremendous joy that he's with Jesus. Everything he taught, everything he taught had one punchline, Jesus. And the fact that he's there now is awesome. So grieving's good, it's pretty normal. And so I grieve with the family um, for the obvious reasons, but I grieve also sort of like an adopted member. I think all of us who sat under Tom feel like he brought us into his family. I mean, he wasn't shy about telling some of the inside stuff. And uh, so to Sarah and to Haley, to Sandy and the grandkids, to Tyler and Tim, I am profoundly sorry for your loss. But to us as a church, I am profoundly sorry for your loss too. I thought it would be appropriate for us to just stop and, and thank God for his goodness to give us at least those, those 30 plus years of his ministry and to thank him for that. Can we pray together? God, I thank you so very much for uh, allowing us um, to sit under how you... Uh, used Tom and his teaching in our life and his relationship to our lives. Um, God, my heart is broken for the family as they'll now be without a father and a grandfather and a father-in-law. And for the rest of us, we'll be without a friend and a pastor. But in hindsight, God, we really do have to say thank you for all that you did, all that you accomplished, and will continue to do through the legacy of uh, Tom Schrader, our pastor. So we thank you in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. I am uh, pretty certain Tom would be uncomfortable if we took a morning to talk about him. But tough beans, he's not here. Um, uh, but I, I know this because he cared so deeply, I think he would be very encouraged to hear that we learned something. And so uh, maybe he'd be uncomfortable with the stories, but he'd be very encouraged by the influence. And I think that's important and, and uh, appropriate for this morning. So what I thought we should do is set aside our, our series, you know, Love Walked Among Us, and uh, leave that alone for a week and remind ourselves of some truths that we learned from Tom. Um, so nothing will be brand new to you, maybe unless this is your first Sunday, but they will be reminders of things that we know. And I would just say to you, uh, before you have any expectations, this is not going to be a sermon. I don't, I, first of all, I don't feel like doing this at all today, and I certainly don't have any gas for a sermon. So I thought what I would do is kind of pencil out thoughts and then wing it. So in advance, I will thank you for your willingness to allow me to wing it, although you have no choice in the matter of that either. <laughs> 
But the other thing, I suppose, it sounds like a warning. If you don't like uh, emotional preachers, you might as well leave right now because I can't control it. I don't know when it's happening. I'll be okay, and then something will come up, and it'll stick right here, and I can't talk. So I apologize in advance for the sloppiness of what you're hearing. Nevertheless, uh, I've got to plow through this. Um, so let me just take you through, just, just briefly, kind of things that popped in my mind as I sat down to consider what I know, what I think we know, what I think we are, based on Thomas preaching and influence. And I'm going to ask your uh, participation for the first one. If I were to ask you, what's one thing you know based on the teaching of Tom, or one thing you learned based on the teaching of Tom, what would you say? It's Okay. I just heard it over here. God's sovereignty. I mean, there's a lot of things that we know. Uh, you can't exhaust the scriptures, but the thing that Tom was great at was teaching us that God is sovereign. And I love that, that there's uh, no greater teaching than the teaching that elevates God and diminishes man. I mean, if you ever want to decide how to measure a good church, if you get smaller and God gets bigger, that's a good church. In fact, somebody walked by and said, I remember what Tom used to call us. And I said, what was that? He goes, pond scum. <laughs> the method of diminishment. There you go. Do you believe in the sovereignty of God? I, I'm, I'm going to, obviously, I need to do some work about that because I say sovereign God and you probably think, of course. Of course, what kind of God could there be if he wasn't sovereign? And I suppose at some level that's uh, reasonable. But the breadth and depth and conclusions of the sovereignty of God, um, to be fair, become very uncomfortable uh, for average Joe Blow church attenders who haven't looked deeply into the personhood of God. And so if you allow me, this is the only part that I prepared and I did it on purpose because I thought there's no way to honor Tom better than to repeat him when it comes to these particulars about the sovereignty of God. Let me give you the definition of the sovereignty of God. That there is nothing that happens in all the universe outside of the influence and authority of God. And even now, everybody's still okay. Sounds like God to me. I'm cool with that. I think you're right. In fact, Tom used to say it this way. That God either causes or allows all things. Yeah, we kind of got it programmed. It's like a tattoo on our heart. That God causes or allows all things. That's a pithy way to say that his, his influence and authority control all things. But that's the reality. God is above all things. He's the beginning and the end. He is sovereign. God is has created all things and he holds all things together by the power of his word. And God knows all things. He knows everything past, he knows everything present, he knows everything future. God discovers nothing. He knows, period. God controls all things, the things seen and unseen, the spiritual and the physical. He, he knows all that. He controls even Satan. Satan has to submit himself to God. And God can do all things. Nothing is too difficult for our God. Still, you're okay. <laughs> God is sovereign. That sounds like God to me. But perhaps what you remember most about the sovereignty of God discussion is when Tom leaned into the doctrines of grace. Anybody here for those series of sermons? So maybe a third of you. 
The doctrines of grace are how God is sovereign, completely sovereign in salvation. In other words, there's a kind of an unspoken uh, narrative in Big C Church in the world. They don't say it like this, but I'm going to tell you how it is. There is a version of sovereignty um, that is God is somewhat sovereign, and you, mankind, are somewhat sovereign. And when you and the sovereign one get together and you sort out your decisions for each other, that equals salvation. Like all you got to do is you got to make the effort and you got to believe and you got to try and you got to care and you got to pray and you got to walk the aisle. You, you fulfill your obligation to God's sovereignty and that's sort of how it works out. God just waits on you. Well, let me just suggest to you that's not at all what the Bible says and it's not at all what Tom taught. It's not at all what we believe as a church. Here's what we believe. Salvation belongs to God. Period. And you want to know why? Because the description of the problem is so perfect and complete, it has to be God or it doesn't work. He took us through this discussion on the depravity of men's hearts. Over and over again, we were taught that the man's heart is so broken. The only words to describe its brokenness, according to Paul, is it's dead. It's unresponsive to God. It cares not about God. It won't submit itself to God. It's at war with God. The broken, sinful heart of man sees nothing of God and wants nothing from God. The condition is bleak, so much more than I can even describe. Let me read to you just a small portion uh, that we learned a year ago when we went through Ephesians. And this is what we heard over and over again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his good pleasure. I could read on, but I'll stop right there. The bottom line that we've learned in Ephesians, that we've heard from Tom over and over again, that salvation belongs to God. He chooses and he predestines and he elects and he saves sinners, right? In fact, it's clear when, when Jesus speaks in John 16 of the condition that no one can come to the Father. No one can come to the Father. Did you hear that? No one can come to the Father. It's about ability unless the Father draws. You can't find yourself somewhere sorting out the problems of the cosmos in your own mind and say, you know what I've concluded? It's God that I want. Unless God takes your stubborn, broken, proud, dead heart and says, hey, there's a longing for God. You got no shot. God is sovereign. And why? Because we're dead and the reality of it is, and you probably know it in your own life, as Paul says it in 1 Corinthians, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's a joke. But to, to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Do you remember when it was a joke? Do you remember? Do you remember when you thought it was an option? When you thought it was many of the things that you could pull off the shelf and find comfort in? Well, there's a big difference between you thought it would, when it was one of the many when you thought it was the only one. It is the power of God to those who think it's the only one. It is foolishness to everybody with a blind, dead heart. Therefore, the conclusion, and I'm rushing you through this, the conclusion is that God has to do the choosing. 
If I won't choose him, somebody's got to do the move, and it's him. That's why Paul says it. In him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That's what he says. It's his work. So, the other thing we've learned from Tom is this work, this, this election of God is very specific. In fact, God's salvation actually saves people. Now, that might sound absurd to you to hear it that way, but many people believe that God only left heaven, took on flesh, went to the cross to somehow make it possible. Now, the rest is up to you. That's not at all why Jesus died. Jesus came to die for his people, period. And Jesus accomplished what he came to die for, the salvation of his people. Very specific. Particular atonement. In other words, he actually did die for someone. This makes love of God sound so much more like love, doesn't it? And here's what we know, and here's what we learned about this wonderful pursuit of God. His undeniable, undefeatable, irresistible grace is what draws all sinners to himself. You cannot thwart him. You cannot stiff arm him. You cannot run away from him. God will get you. And that's just like I can just picture Tom in that car having that last little argument. Just that last little bit, what if? I got a question and God said, time's up, Tom, come. And he did. And what we know about this wonderful gospel, if it all belongs to God, if salvation belongs to God, and it has nothing to do with you and nothing to do with your work or your effort, you can't lose it. You can't screw it up. You can't out God's grace. You cannot wander away. He will have you. He died to have you. Now, some of that might sound like, I didn't ever hear that before. Well, then you weren't here for Ephesians, but if you just heard it, you just heard the exclusive good news called the gospel. God saves sinners. We learned that from Tom. You know what else we learned from Tom? That is the word of God is true and powerful. How many times did you hear him say, we teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And he would. He would just kind of plod through it. He'd stop in random places. He was very unorganized that way. Just verse by verse and chapter by chapter. And, uh, and the amount of people saying, well, that, that word of God thing is powerful. He was at the emergency room on Wednesday getting a scan for a cancer he didn't know he had to hear that he was going to die in a few hours. And the doctor, the ER doctor, walked in and looks at him, and his eyes got big as saucers, and he goes, I'm a Christian because of you. you do you have any idea how many times that's been said? I can't, I mean, I've got stories in my head, I don't have the time, of random people through random set of circumstances, all in the hand of God's sovereign, sovereignty, where someone heard through this ordinary guy with no diploma, that Jesus saved sinners. And that was the, that was the pathway, that was the, the means by which God would draw that person. The word of God is powerful and true. The other thing I learned from Tom is that being forgiven much makes a really good forgiving person. I had uh, the privilege of hanging around Tom a lot sometime in uh, post-meeting meetings and... Uh, hearing about the tensions of, of uh, 
his job. And I'm not trying, this is not meant for sympathy. It's just a reality. When you, when you choose to be in a position, this is how it goes down. You didn't say enough. You said the wrong thing. I don't like your way. I don't like your hair. I don't like your clothes. I don't like your family. I don't like the car you drive. I don't like what you do. And, and if you think I'm exaggerating, you have no concept. People write about music and they'll write about words and they'll write about preaching, they'll write about volume, they'll write about your attitude, they'll write about your word. They'll do anything and they were, they were fair on that too. They came after him with all those things. And uh, just to contrast and compare my role in his life, he would never react to any of that. And I would. What I heard people say to him and about him made me angry and... and Apart from the grace of God, I'm a fighter, so it's like, Tom, let's go fix this. Let's make that one stop. And he would never say anything. In fact, there were, there were people who would uh, hurt him really badly, and uh, there'd be an opportunity for them, somehow they would show up again and ask for something. And he would say, give it to him. Give him grace. And you know why he could do that? I'm certain of this. Because he lived 30 years like hell. 30 years running from God and doing stupid things and acting as if there is no God, no worship, no whatever. And I suppose when he gets to the end of it, he looks at people's small little offenses and goes, what is that a big deal? Which is biblical, right? Isn't that what Jesus taught? Forgive out of the resource of how much you've been forgiven. And he, he did it. And he taught it, not necessarily preaching sermons, just because that's the way he lived. He would, not, he would not rile himself for things like that. The other thing I learned from Tom, I think we've learned from Tom, that the greatest method of discipleship is relationship. You know, uh, if, I, if I put a bunch of preachers in, in this room and said, tell me what you think of discipleship, you know what would come out? Methods and material. Hey, there's some books out there, some great resources out there, there's some patterns out there, there's some rhythms out there, there's things to do. And I'm not, I'm not blowing that off. I'm certain those things are helpful. Uh, but if you know Tom, you know that he was kind of an or, unorganized mess, right? If you went in his office right now, it looks like a paper mill blew up. It's stuff everywhere. If you called him, if he was still here, and you were here for the very first time and you got his email and he made that available to everyone. He said, hey, listen, I'd like to talk to you about what you said. Probably somewhere this week, you'd be sitting over the commons and he'd be leaning back on a chair with an iced tea and you'd be going after it and he would listen. And then he would explain to you what the gospel is and he would explain to you who Jesus was and he would, he would hear your concerns and not judge you. Here's what I know. Um... And I think everybody to a man who was close enough to him would know this. Like, he was not proactive in saying, hey, you need to do these things and not do those things and sort the stuff out. He would just be there in a patient, pace way. And things would be changed. And so, um, if you got... If you, maybe you already know this. If you get close enough to our epicenter of what we really care about, we make disciples. If you wanted to know how we make disciples, we love people. It's relationship. Are there things we want you to know? Of course there are. 
But if you come to an RC, if you sit at it across the table from a pastor or whatever, what we're trying to do is, is trying to get you close enough to our hearts so that you can hear the good news. I've learned this from Tom too, that having a commitment to be an influence beyond this campus and generation really matters. If you've been around long enough, there was a while back where Tom laid out for us the Gilbert East Valley distinctives. And he would say this, he said, of, of these eight distinctives, six of them are in every church's distinctive list. They're very common, you know, we believe in a triune God and the word of God, not to poo-poo that stuff. But at the end, he had things unique to his passion, his call, his desire, and one of them was this, I believe that God has called us to be an influence beyond this, this campus and this generation. Now, if you fast forward from that many, many years ago and now ask yourself the question, where did redemption come from? Nine congregations around the state of Arizona. It wasn't because we're smart enough to plant nine congregations around the state of Arizona. It's because Tom influenced young leaders who wanted to preach the good news and care for people. God is, is better to us than we deserve and clearly way more creative than we are. No one sat down and wrote this out. But the water that birthed this thing is truly the fact that Tom was committed to the next gen and to the influence. I used to, like I said, when I did student ministry, every Monday we'd have a guy's lunch. And the guy's lunch was I invited every young pastor to go somewhere to eat. And I told Tom, I said, hey, we're having this meeting. Come with us. Just hang with us. We got no agenda. There's nothing to read. There's nothing to do. Well, I'll just lob a question. I'll make some observation. And we talk. That's all that this is. And uh, so for years, Tom would meet with us and we would meet together. And if I told you who that group was, you'd look around Redemption and go, well, that's the lead pastor of that church. And that's the lead pastor of that church. And lead pastor of that church. And it's true. And somehow, just the statement of wanting to be an infant beyond this generation, I look around and go, I, we couldn't have written that. Just his passion for it did. His care for that did. Uh, there's another thing I've learned from Tom, and that is that being yourself isn't an option. <laughs> if anybody understood fearfully and wonderfully made, he did. He could have been insecure. Do you, you understand that most ministry places is a place for insecure people to hide? Do you understand that? If you've ever been creeped out in church, it's because somewhere you've met a pastor that wants you to care about him more than he cares about you. Tom was very, very comfortable in his own skin. He didn't try to perform and he didn't want people to be impressed with, with him. He just did him, which is, I think, the reason why average people connected with him. He wasn't trying. And the great, the great kind of environment he created around him was that he allowed everybody to be themselves too. Again, trendy in our culture, trendy in the church world, if you, if you go around churches, what you'll see mostly is someone propagating a guy. Video screens all over the place, putting a guy up there, and here's what they're all trying to do. They're all trying to get, if that's the leader, we're all gonna be like him, and every young leader around him is trying to put on his pants, and that's just not what he cared about, and it's not what we care about. Everybody is different, uniquely wired and gifted by God to do what God called them to do. And Tom understood that personally, and he valued it for others. I love Tom Schrader.
and this is no exaggeration, I would not be in ministry if God didn't bring me here. That was too rough. It was too bullish. I left the very conservative world where I saw the ground kind of ebbing away under our feet. I land here as a nobody. Nobody knew me. I'm not certain anybody cared. I started cleaning the building. And then somehow through a series of things I began to be the youth pastor and, and all that messy stuff that I had. I could just be me around him. He was not insecure. He was not angry. He was not threatened. And I loved him. I was very defensive for him. Um, but I love that. If you look around at the leaders in redemption, you're going, man, he's nothing like Tom. He's nothing like Tom either. He didn't sound like Tom. He doesn't say it like Tom does. You have just discovered what he cared about. Be who God made you to be. I also learned from him that ministry is being a champion of others. I, uh, I'll tell this story. It might be too... Uh, well, it's not. I've wrestled all morning when things pop in my head and I think, should I say that? And I don't know. So I trust the Spirit's controlling this. Um, there was a season, like it happens, I think, in most churches where things get really difficult. And things got really, really hard here for a season. And people were very, very unkind to Tom. And whatever grump people had about church or had about how things went or how they should go, they pointed it at him. And he was so tired. He was, he was really tired. And I said to him, quit. Let's just quit. If you want to start something else, I'll go. I'll do all the work. I'll lift everything. I'll, I'll be everything. You just do what you do. Let's go. Let's go. And he wouldn't. He, he didn't want the mess, but he wouldn't leave. And the reason why he wouldn't leave, he told me this. He goes, I can't leave. And I said, why? And he said, well, if I leave, all these young leaders will scatter to the wind. I don't know of a picture, humanly speaking, of laying down you for the sake of others better than that. Because people were not fair and not kind, and yet he stood there and took it for the sake of people you didn't even know at the time. Uh, one last thought. Um, obviously, there's so much to say about him, and I'm assuming that's the stuff that will show up on all the blogs and the website, but... Here's what I learned from Tom, that suffering well has everything to do with what you believe. There, there's a like bumper sticker phrase that Tom would say, and I know you can finish it. What you know, yeah, trumps what you feel. In a world that's addicted to its feelings, Tom taught us that the word of God and truth trumps it all. That there's something greater than what you're feeling right now. Not that your feelings aren't real, they're just not more powerful than truth. And he taught us that. And he lived that. His wife, Susan, uh, got cancer in 2005 and then spent seven years in a fight for her life. And she died. All the doctor's appointments and chemotherapy and radiation and surgeries and sickness and vomiting, and he was there the whole time. And then she passes, and then like a little six-month little respite and then it was his turn 
from lupus to heart surgery to cancer to all of it. And here's what I saw in him. Obviously, he, he would uh, tell us that he hurt, but he never complained. And I, there's a fine balance between that. Yeah, my, my hands hurt, my shoulder hurts. But he didn't whine about life. He talked about Iowa football, and he, he talked about politics a little bit until the last couple of years. And then uh, he was just a friend, and he would say, how are you doing? And here's why I think he did it that way, and that's because he wasn't led by his feelings. He was led by the truth. And we learned that from Tom, didn't we? Plus so many, many, many other lessons. I, uh, I think for the time that we have, that's my recollection. I, I want to stop now and pray. And uh, I think it would be most appropriate to just thank God of the ways in which we've been formed and encouraged in our life and our faith and how God decided to use an average, ordinary guy. In the description of Paul, God chose to use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, and in this situation, he certainly did. So let's thank God together. Lord God, I, uh, I'm so grateful for our pastor, Tom Schrader, for his uh, uniqueness, for his faithfulness. I thank you that he was faithful to the truth. I thank you that he loved Jesus. And I'm thankful that you caused it all, that you drew him and gave him a capacity to serve in such a huge way in our, in our town, in our city. So we aren't what we are, God, um, without you using someone like him. So we want to honor his memory today and thank you for that. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.